Welcome to Flyers AD here. It is uh, Wednesday, February 16, 2022. Here! Off of the Flyers-Pens game last night. Potentially Giroux's last battle of Pennsylvania. And how fitting. What a way to go out. Every time I think, you know, the Flyers can't hurt me anymore. I'm finally detached from all of this. I can just watch them go to bed, you know, totally normal. Not angry anymore. They do something like that. A 4-2 leading in third period. They blew it at 18 seconds and then lost in overtime in a mere 31 seconds. <sighs> just, just every time, every time I think I'm checked out, they do something to piss me off still. But, um, you know, I guess losing I guess, is the ultimate goal here at this point. There's no reason to win, but I guess they did steal a point. So who cares? Whatever. It's a stupid hockey team. Right, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I just think it's more about, how would you say, it's more about just looking for positives and, uh, what's the word we always look for, uh, moral victories, there we go, and, you know, it's not about winning or losing anymore, and last night, you know, they had the NHL caliber players probably playing very well, and then you had the, I guess, AHL call-up level players not playing so great. Maybe aside from Isaac Ratcliffe, who seems to be playing very well. I know that you have mentioned him a couple of times. But, I mean, at this point, are we really expecting the Flyers to win games? I would argue not. I think at this point, we're just kind of waiting for, um, how would you say, the trade deadline to come? (laughs) The trade deadline, the end of the season, the summer. Exactly. It's kind of like Groundhog Day from last year in that regard. So, I mean, when they lose games now, it's not really about, you know, it's not really devastating because at the end of the day, we know that making the playoffs is no longer the ultimate goal. Like, you know, I brought it up on Snow the Goalie last week with Anthony Sanfilippo, and we both kind of echoed that we don't, we think that now they have kind of unofficially waved the white flag in terms of making the playoffs. And, you know, they get another hit on the injury front, wrist aligning going on IR. And uh, I just think at this point, it really has come down to moral victories, what they're going to get via trade as they try and unload some players, most specifically Claude Giroux. And um, I mean, it's going to be an unfortunate trek till the end of the season. May be fun for a couple weeks there, leading up to the trade deadline. But at this point, it is kind of just looking forward onto next year. I think Ratcliffe has been surprisingly well. Now he ultimately did take the stupid penalty last night, which led to the the unraveling of the game. But his play before that, I think, was fine. And this is a guy I've seen a whole lot of in Lehigh over the last two and a half, three years, and. Never once impressed me. In fact, he's probably one of the more disappointing prospects to come out of the Hextall era. Um, just yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for six foot six hockey players. It is what it is. But you know, the, the goal scoring wasn't there. The physicality wasn't there. He just kind of existed. And this guy is fucking gigantic. Okay, the TV does him no justice. If you've never seen Isaac Ratcliffe in person, he's huge. He's listed at six foot six, two twenty. I would argue he's probably even bigger than that. He's just a gigantic dude, and 
some players just rise to the occasion when they get the call to the NHL. They just step up and turn it into that next gear and finally look good. And Ratcliffe is doing just that. You know, he's he's taken some op- uh, offensive opportunities. He has been playing net front and uh, select power play opportunities. And the physicality has been there. So, you know, I don't think his ceiling is particularly high. I think what you're seeing is you know about as good as it's going to get. But, you know, having somebody like that you know, a big friggin' six foot six dude to play net front on the power play. Like, that's a pretty valuable tool. I mean, that's what Zdane Char did for 20 years, you know. So it's, uh, I don't expect a whole lot more than what I'm getting, but at the same time, it is kind of a cool story for somebody that, you know, has been as underwhelming as he has over the years to finally get the opportunity to show up and uh, look like a semi competent NHLer. Yeah, and it's something we're not really accustomed to, right? Like, it seems very few and far between that we have a player come up to the NHL from the Phantoms and he carves out kind of like a spot right away. And even if it is just ultimately a fourth-line role, maybe next year you have your two wingers and Ratcliffe and Zach McEwen as physical bottom six guys and then you find a capable 4C maybe that's Tanner Lazinski maybe it's an addition from outside the organization but you have a very quality physical fourth line and you know we do know that the Flyers have been looking to get bigger obviously they were involved in the discussions around Ross and Kraus maybe they'll revisit that so I mean it's nice to see and especially when you're having a lot of guys come up not really showcase anything and then go back down almost immediately it's nice to see a guy actually seize the opportunity and I mean I hate to kind of always come back to it but and I brought it up on Snow the Goldie as well but I mean the Morgan Frost thing like I mean he's a guy that obviously has much higher expectations than a guy like as Isaac Ratcliffe and arguably more than any prospect in the organization and it just seems like it's just continues to be an uphill battle obviously Mike Yo insisting him using him down the mid insisting on using him rather down the middle has made his I guess transition to the NHL a bit tougher obviously we saw him playing at a much higher level at least in my opinion when he was playing wing under LA Vigneault but at the same time I can't really blame Mike Yo because again we've said it numerous times if this guy is ultimately just a solid middle six NHL winger the Flyers have a plethora of that so I mean that's just another reason why it's nice to see Isaac Ratcliffe for the most part seizing the opportunity because we've just been so accustomed to having these young guys come up and not live up to expectations. I don't know what you do with Morgan Frost anymore. I I, I don't have any answers for this guy, and you know I guess there's a part of me that feels vindicated because I again watched him a lot in Lehigh Valley and was never overly impressed with the guy. So the fact that all the Clodger Junior. Uh, people out there you know don't get to celebrate I guess uh morbidly makes me happy but you know I don't know I, I just thoroughly 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 disappointed in pretty much everything this guy's done this year um you know I think he can be carried to a semi-reasonable performance when he was with Giroux and Atkinson during the the COVID outbreak he was, you know, I mean, he was with Drew and Atkinson. He's can, he can be carried to a semi-reasonable performance, but, man, when he's out there by himself, flanked with two nobodies, like, he's not the player that's going to turn it on and dominate and, you know, win games by himself. And if that's not what he's doing, he's practically useless. He's just a small, undersized guy, not particularly strong, not particularly good defensively. 
You know, his entire bread and butter is supposed to be playmaking. And we just haven't seen that. And, and, you know, maybe he hasn't gotten an entirely fair shake in this whole thing. I do think they've horribly mismanaged him during the last part of his last call-up and so far in this one. Um, but at the same time, again, what the fuck are you supposed to do here? You know, you can't give this guy more rope if he's not going to show you any signs of life in the few opportunities that he does have. So I have no idea. I, I'm going to be definitely interested to see what they do with Frost here. I would, uh, whether they bring him back, I believe his uh, ELC is up at the end of the year. So whether they bring him back, whether he's a trade chip to partner with somebody to try and get maybe a better return. Um, I feel like that's probably a more likely option at this point. Cause man, this square peg round hole situation they're working with here does not seem to be ideal for Frost long-term. And, and the unfortunate part about this is, is that now he's kind of lost his trade value. Yes. And from what it was before, like there, you know, he had a decent amount of uh, trade value, even, <clears throat> pardon me, as early as 18 months ago. And I think that maybe he wasn't a blue chip prospect by any stretch, but I think he was maybe under, right under that tier. There was enough mystery and, surrounding the guy to, to you know, warrant a trade that, hey, maybe this guy can live up to, to his junior career, but now you, you stomped that out pretty sufficiently. Yeah, and and the issue here is is that now you're starting to get a fairly large sample size with Morgan Frost. He's played in 27 games this year. Aside from Wade Allison, who played in all of one game and seven minutes of five-on-five time, so, I mean, for all intents and purposes, among all Flyers forwards who have played this year, no forward has started more in the offensive zone than Morgan Frost with 56.4% offensive zone start percentage. Wow. And then you look at the the underlying numbers, and he's 11th in expected goals 4 per 60 with 2.1. Obviously, that includes Nick Aubé-Kubel, so you remove him and he's 10th. So kind of right smack dab in the middle, and then you look at him as you know expected goals against per 60 and that he actually ranks more near the top and then you look at him as far as Corsi goes and he ranks kind of again right in the middle so the thing is is that do i think that at this juncture morgan frost is an nhl player i think as you mentioned before if you put him on the left wing with the right guys and in philadelphia those right guys are claude Giroux and cam atkinson and maybe a healthy Sean Couturier and Travis Konechny, I think he's a decent middle six winger. But the thing is, like I said before, how many decent middle six wingers does this team have on the roster and in their system? Because it seems like that is the definition of the Philadelphia That's all that's here these days, yeah. Yeah, decent middle six winger. And that's why, while I do think that Mike Yo maybe isn't handling him the best, I can understand it. And I brought it up on Snow the Goalie as well where I said, Mike Yo is probably, you know, his thought process is, like, Frost, you're this right now, as in a middle six winger. But if you can't be this, a.k.a. a top nine centerman, we have no use for you here. And by getting the most offensive zone start percentage of any Flyers forward this season— and being just, like, a middle-of-the-road player on a dog-shit Philadelphia team— <laughs> That's simply not good enough. And, you know, those are just underlying numbers. How many actual raw points does he have? I think he has six points through 27 games. Two I goals believe. and seven points. Two goals, seven points. So seven 
points through 27 games. Yeah. Pro-rated over 82 games, that's probably, what, 25, 26 points Something or like so? That. So, I mean, for a guy getting as big as an opportunity as he has, getting as sheltered deployment as he has, and to only be on pace for 25 to 26 points, along with being a middle-of-the-road player on a bad Flyers team in terms of underlying numbers— it simply isn't good enough, especially for a guy that has been touted as far and away your best forward prospect since probably the elevation of Joel Farabee in 1920. So that's two calendar years now. And again, this is more of an indictment on the team than it is the player. But I also think that they were, you know, maybe reluctant a bit to go to add a long term center to their middle six like a Reinhardt or a Bennett because they were holding out hope for this guy. And again, I do think that's much more of an indictment on the team than the players. So I'm not blaming Frost for that. But I've said this numerous times, but him just being around seems to be impeding this team from doing what is ultimately necessary. And that's adding what is probably a top six center at this point. Yeah, and, you know, to add on to his um, kind of underlying numbers there, if there was ever a time for this guy to show up, step up, and take the reins, it's when, you know, the top four centers above him are injured and hurt. And, you know, there were, if he was a guy who could do this on his own and come up and show the world what he had, like, this would be the time to do it because there's nobody above you that can hold you down. But he can't. You know, he clearly needs to be carried to that good performance if he's ever going to have one. So, yeah, I don't know. RFA at the end of the year... Um, I don't know. I don't know what you do with the guy. I mean, since you're not rebuilding, you know, if they were going to rebuild and okay, we're going to take two, three years to dick around here and get some prospects like you can keep him around, whatever, you know, he develops, maybe not. But at this point, if you're serious about being competitive, it's pretty clear this is the this is, you know, not the guy for the job. So you know, maybe put him in a trade ship. I think there's going to be a very busy offseason ahead of us with a lot of trades that are going to be made. So I would assume, you know, he among many of these guys probably will not return. But, you know, in the in the short term, the, you know, Claude Giroux Jr. that Morgan Frost was supposed to be just um, doesn't look like it's going to happen, at least not here in Philly. I can't wait till he gets traded, though, and goes to a different team and puts up three goals and everyone loses their goddamn minds. Well, I mean, we've brought it up in the past. But how much of this maybe a lot of so-called writers blowing smoke up his ass when it really wasn't warranted? Oh, it's that's yes, that's absolutely true with Frost and quite frankly, most of these prospects. And and like you look at a guy like Travis Konechny, and I, I don't think Konechny is a bad player by any stretch, but it's just another example of a guy who... I think the team just needs more from. And I, I, like I've said it numerous times, like uh, for whatever reason, I just picture him on Calgary. But now that they've traded for Tyler Toffoli, I think that ship has sailed. But I would say that like a Toffoli is kind of a good comparable to like the ceiling of the type of player that Konechny could be. And I believe Konechny right now is on pace for 50 or so points uh, as I quickly and frantically do this proration. Yeah, 49.9 points. That's what he's on pace for over 82 games. But then you look at his goal total and, you know, only eight goals, which is okay. Pardon me? It's pathetic. For what they need him to be, yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is because they need him to be more. And, I mean, 
you know, if he is ultimately just a, you know, 20 goal, 50 point guy, that's fine. It's okay. But then you need to get something else for him because they need someone to stand above the crowd, especially when Giroux inevitably gets traded at this point. You know, Cam Atkinson has been very good this year, but I mean, he can't do it on his own. And if he's your most dynamic winger, you're probably not going to accomplish too, too much. Like, at this point, they need to translate Travis Konechny into something that fits more of a need on this team, especially now that you have Cam Atkinson, who's on base for over 30 goals and over 60 points. So, and he kind of is a similar type of player, plays on the right wing to, uh, to uh, Travis Konechny. So, I mean, look, like, I think the Flyers have a lot of players on this team who aren't necessarily bad players per se, but just not in any way what the team needs, if that makes sense. They're they're all individually fine. If we picked their each player individually, they're probably fine, but something together here just doesn't work. And if there's one player on this roster that I assume is not going to be here next year and it's not named Claude Giroux, I think it's going to be Konechny. I think that ship has sailed. I think his days in yeah. Philadelphia is numbered. I think they trade him for whatever they trade him for. I have no idea. Maybe a center. But uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that this guy just needs a change of scenery. You know, he's, he just he hasn't been himself for, what, two years now, 1920 at his breakout year, and just has never been the same since the 2020 playoffs. And, you know, he has been fine from an energy perspective for quite a few games now. Last night, he was buzzing in Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, the, the the offense just isn't there. He's not sh- shooting the puck. I mean, he's just flat-out passing. Um, you know, I don't know if he's scared or whatever the fuck it is, but his, something's wrong with Konechny, and something just isn't going to get better. And I know people, you know, for whatever reason, they love this guy. But, I mean, it's I, – I just – I do not see a way where this guy is a flyer going the next year. He's just – so much of the same. You talked about the you know twenty goal, fifty point wingers. Like he defines that right now. And, and you look at comparables in terms of his contract. You know Josh Anderson, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Jonathan Drouin, Tom Wilson, Tuvo Teravainen. Like individually, I think those players all fall in the same tier. I don't think Travis Konechny has a bad contract for what he is, but it's he just has. You know, I think he may have plateaued a bit. Like, I think if he's in the right scenario, if you put him with peak Giroux and Couturier, yeah, you can probably drag something out of him. Exactly, and I mean, if again, like, if you put him, let's say, on the Winnipeg Jets on the second line with Pierre Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers, I think he's going to be a very successful player. And maybe you're right. Maybe this guy just does need a change of scenery. Like hell, like. We've seen it in other uh, cases with the Flyers. Like, I mean, look at Shane Goss's bear. Like, it wasn't working here, but he's doing well in Arizona, and that's okay. But I think people take out the human element, the aspect out of this. And sometimes it is. And look, this isn't me trashing Konechny as a player. Like, this has been a very dysfunctional team for going on 18 months here, if not longer. Like, going back to the bubble in the summer of 2020, this has been a very dysfunctional team. So maybe Konechny, who is still a younger guy, I believe he's, what, 25, 26 years old, a new dad, like, maybe he needs a change of scenery in less pressure situation, maybe like a Shane Goss's beer. But 
I just think the Flyers need more. They need something more out of him. And maybe, and this is me reporting, this is just like speculation, even if it's something like just tr- swapping him one for one for a guy like Josh Anderson, something like that. Like Montreal's in a full fire sale, so maybe they uh, they add a guy like Josh and they add a guy like Travis Konechny, I believe is a touch younger than uh, Josh Anderson. Yeah. And his contract has a little less term on it. Like that's a way for and maybe you package Morgan Frost. Like, okay, here's a young centerman, I guess, <laughs> and a guy who's a bit younger with less term on his contract and it allows you to get out from the contract of Josh Anderson. And Josh Anderson in his own right hasn't had a great year. He has nine goals and seventeen points, but again, he's on the the putrid Montreal Canadian squad. So I mean maybe that's like something you explore because at least you add a physical body who can play in your top six and it is a hockey type of trade that gets Travis Connectney a change of scenery. And you know, Travis Sandheim kind of falls in that category as yep, well. Yep, or yep, I yep, mean yep. like Sandheim, I, I don't think he's a bad defenseman. I think he's a solid second oh, I do. Guy. Sucks ass. <laughs> well I mean like I, I guess like what I mean is, like, if you put, how could I put this? Like, if you um, put him next to Bobby Orr, I'm sure he would look like a semi-competent player, and he would still fucking maybe, up defensively. Maybe, but I, I just think it's because pe- people get they get infatuated with what these players could be on other teams, and like you said, if you nitpick, like, how many players on this team are just bad hockey players that wouldn't be good elsewhere? James Van Riems, like JVR, <laughs> yeah. yeah, JVR, Keith Yandel, maybe Connaughton, Sealer. Yeah, like there, there are some just flat out bad players, but I mean, there are some that it's just it's no longer a fit. Like Oscar Limblom, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the guy. Like, where are you at with Limblom? He's just a dude. I I think he's a very responsible dude. I've always compared him to Michael Roffel. Um, just kind of one of the, you know, depth Swiss army knife kind of guys that can play up in the lineup if need be. But I mean, the offense just isn't going to show up. Um, I never expected him to be big offensively. We talked about this a lot at the beginning of the year uh, when he went through his rough drought there when he wasn't scoring at all. Uh, people were very angry at the guy. But, I mean, he plays fine hockey. He's not making costly mistakes every night. He's just not really putting up points. Now, you know, you don't want your fourth line <laughs> fourth liner to be making $3 million friggin' dollars, but, you know, he, he's, a, he's just a fine player, but, you know, he doesn't necessarily have a defined role uh, on this current team. Maybe if you trade maybe if you trade James Van Riemsdyk or buy him out in the summer, then he finds his niche on the third line. Because like as you kind of protect, uh, project rather to next year, I guess you have Couturier as the one C, player X as the two C, Kevin Hayes as the three C, and on the third line maybe you have Oscar Lindblom there with Kevin Hayes, and if he could ever get healthy, like Wade Allison. Like that would be a fine third line if they were all healthy. Yeah, like that's something. And then on the top line, you would have probably Farabee, Couturier, and Atkinson. And the second line, I think, is where you're really going to see spend all your major. Yeah, Yeah, that that I think that second line is where you're going to see a major overall here, uh, overhaul rather. Because I, I have to think one way or another, you're going to bring in a guy who could play that 2C role. I think you're probably going to do a hockey-type trade and swap out Travis Konechny for another type of winger who could play in there. 
And then on the left side, I mean, unless I'm missing someone, I don't think JVR is going to be here. I don't think Claude Giroux is going to be here. Morgan Frost, like, who knows what's up with him. I think that maybe you add, like, a Johnny Gaudreau, which I'm not confident in, maybe a Philip Forsberg, something like that. So, like, let's just say, for argument's sake, just, just to project it, let's say you get Jack Drury in a trade for Claude Giroux, something like that. Then you have Philip Forsberg and Josh Anderson as your second line. Is that something that gives you more confidence? Slightly. Having a nice young center was definitely the highlight of that deal. I'm not sold on Philip Forsberg. I don't really particularly want the guy. Certainly not individually. And uh, Anderson would probably be an improvement over uh, connecting. So, yeah, that's fine. The problem is, like, I'm too cold to this team right now. Like, you could tell me, like prime Mario Lemieux is going to come play for the Flyers. And I'd be like, eh, it's probably not enough. <laughs> I think I bought too hard into the moves made last summer. That everything was going to magically fall into place. And now I'm like, yeah, as long as you're going to bring back a majority of this team and I'm going to hate it because nobody's going to be good. I, I, I got to see the success on the ice before I start jerking off lines here. But, uh, you know, that, that definitely seems like an improved second line compared to whatever the fuck they've been dealing with this year. And the other aspect of this is, is that this entire plan goes out the like remember last summer uh i think charlie o'connor brought it up a few times and we talked about it as well like all these additions will mean nothing if carter hart doesn't get back on track remember that yeah this that same logic applies to if ryan ellis can't get healthy if ryan ellis can't get healthy none of this matters anymore like, because even if you want to trade Ivan Provorov, which I mean, I don't think they will just because I don't think you can get a better defenseman than Ivan Provorov on the open market. Like, I know everyone kind of wants them to take a charge at Hampus Lindholm, but I just, what? I can't see. Well, yeah, I've heard Is that, that a lot. Like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen some people say that because I think Lindholm is probably the most significant um the most significant free agent defenseman this summer, unless I'm missing someone here. Um, but it's, I just, I don't see I think that you gotta focus to be honest, because I think the left side, you know, I assume they get rid of Sandheim. You got York, you got Zamula, you got Provorov. Let the left side be its thing. I think it's about figuring out what the hell you're going to do on the right side. If Ellis doesn't come back, we, we can talk about the injuries here in a minute, because I don't think I've talked about them on these shows yet, but like, Ellis's future is going to determine everything. Do you bring Ristolainen back? Does he get traded at the deadline if he does, doesn't want to resign here? Which, quite frankly, I don't blame him at this point. But you know, if Ellis is not going to be here, like you got to figure something out. You got to find some reinforcements on the right side. Even if he does come back, you know, you got to find that Josh Manson esque player or something along those lines to bring in as an insurance policy. And it's nothing against Justin Braun, but he just can't continue to play top line minutes anymore. You need a legitimate option that you can swing into your top six. Uh, your top four, rather, um, just because of the, you know, even if Ellis comes into training camp healthy next season, you know, is he going to be healthy long term? Is he still going to miss half the season? Is he going to miss, you know, 30, 40 games? So even if he is healthy to start the year, like you seriously, you got to find some, you know, serious, serious help on the right side, um, whether or not Ruslan comes back. And that's kind of my thing is just like, okay, we know Provorov at this point. We know that he's not a great top pair guy. 
as long as he's playing with a inferior talent or much inferior talent in Justin Braun. But I just think that you would trying to like, I think you'd be attempting to fix something that not necessarily that isn't broken. Like obviously Lindholm would probably be an upgrade on Ivan Provorov, but I just, I, I don't There are think... bigger fish to fry this year. They're trying That's... to slightly upgrade Provorov. Exactly. That that's kind of like where I'm at on it. Like I just I don't see why that's the route you would take because I I don't think that many defensemen in the NHL could be having good seasons playing alongside Justin Braun all year on the top pair. And again, that's no shot against Justin Braun in any way. I just I don't think that he belongs anywhere near a top pairing at this point. No. And in a lot of ways I don't think he should be playing in a top 4. But if you're going to go get Hampus Lindholm, for sure pay more. Like, I would assume it's at least an $8 million AAV. And then you still don't have a healthy Ryan Ellis. It will all be for naught. Like, for me, like you said, you have to find a way to fix that top pair. Like, I think that the left side is maybe something that you can play with a bit more after Provorov. Because you have Cam York, you have Igor Zamula. You're always able to find, you know, left shot defensemen on the open market Dime more so. Yeah. yeah, dime a dozen. Like, even if you would sign a guy like Nick Letty for your third pair, something like that. But then on that right side, what are you going to do? Like, wrist in, you know, um, how how would I say this? Like, I, I don't know if he wants to resign. <laughs> um, I don't think John Klingberg is really a guy I'd want to get locked in with. But if he's your only option, maybe. Obviously, Josh Manson kind of seems like this prototypical guy you're looking for here. But, I mean, and then there's the other part of this is, is that we know that Chuck Fletcher historically, at least in Philadelphia, does not really like to, you know, go out swinging in free agency. He likes to trade for players. Uh, I think ideally they want to re-sign Rosmus Ristolainen, but after that, who knows? I think they ideally want to keep him, but, I mean, like, I wouldn't even hate... The problem with Ristolainen is he's a second-pair guy and really nothing more. Right, like the second you start to give him heavier minutes, he crumbles. You know, he's perfectly fine on that second pair with Sanheim, but you know, the problem is, is if you do not have a healthy Ryan Ellis, you do not then have anybody to replace Ryan Ellis because Ristolainen can't get moved up in the lineup all that much. Right, so you're 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 stuck. You you just then you have to move Justin Braun up to the top line, and that's where somebody like. Maybe Manson would come in, who's still playing top four minutes with Anaheim. You know, he could play on the third pair, you know, slightly more limited minutes now that he's, I believe he's over 30. You know, you can come in and, and if need be, can rise up to the occasion if they keep Ristolainen. But if if they trade Ristolainen, I think they need to find somebody worth a shit. They need to find somebody that, you know, can play a legitimate top four role there. And that way, even if Ellis does come back healthy, maybe you put him as, you know, the second pair righty and you give the top guy, to the, the top men to somebody else. One of the guys that's been thrown around in the Giroux rumors is Drew Hellison. You know, somebody like that, you know, a top right-handed defenseman prospect. You know, like, I think that would be just as important as finding a young center for Giroux because you got nobody on this right side interior that's going to, to make any impact anytime soon. So I wouldn't even hate something like that. But yeah, finding a guy that can figure out the right hand 
branded inside your D, you know, to just in case for Ryan Ellis is going to be incredibly important this summer. Well, I, I also think it's you're going to have to try and find, but like, what are they going to do with Justin Braun? That's another thing. Like, do you go out and get like a Jan Ruda? Do you go out and get maybe like trade for um, Justin Barron from the Colorado Avalanche and that trade for Claude Giroux? Like, I, I don't know what they end up doing here, but that right side, it's just like a revolving door that never seems to stop spinning. Yeah. And, you know, I, I this isn't me saying that, in a vacuum, Lindholm isn't a better defenseman than Ivan Provorov. I think historically that has been the case, maybe aside from the one year of Provorov in 1920 and maybe 1718 as well. But it just seems like, well, it's exactly what you said. I just think that there are much bigger fish to fry at this juncture. You can't start worrying about Ivan, your top uh, pairing left D, because the thing is, is that you have tangible proof in two separate years that when this guy has a competent partner he can play like a legitimate top pairing defenseman but you keep on asking him to play with a 34 year old who is best suited for a third pair at this time and again this is not me trying to trash Justin Braun we love the guy I've been all beating this drum about Braun since he got here in the summer of 2019 but you also have to call it spade a spade, and that spade is that he does not belong anywhere near a top pairing or maybe even a top four at this point. So if you go out and you you know put Hampus Lindholm and have him play alongside Justin Braun, I don't think that the difference will be that much bigger than going from Provorov to Lindholm. And the other thing is, is I believe Hampus Lindholm is older than Ivan Provorov. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's 28 years old. So are you going to lock in Hampus Lindholm at $8 million for seven years? I, I mean, these are things that you have to factor in. That's one of the reasons why I'm a bit trepidatious in terms of John Klingberg. Like, is John Klingberg going to be the guy that you should break the, break the bank on? I would much rather do so for Klingberg than Lindholm because Klingberg is a right shot defenseman and there is absolutely nothing coming up that pipeline. So, I mean, there you also have to factor in that. And I think that Klingberg is a guy that I think if you put him alongside Provorov, they could lean on one another. But again, how much is Klingberg going to command? Like, I would assume, and you also have to factor in that he is a right shot defenseman. So he will get probably a little more than he's actually worth. He's making 4.25 now. Like, I would assume he gets at least six at least six by six, if not more. I think maybe seven by seven is something more in the range of the realistic world that he would be looking for. But then if you have a healthy Ryan Ellis, maybe you could deploy him in a lesser role alongside a guy like Cam York. And then maybe you have a Nick Letty and Jan Ruda on your third pair. Like is Klingberg a guy you think that you would break the bank for? No, not, not particularly. If it was go time and everything else is going right and you need one, you know, top four right-handed defenseman to push over the brink, fine. But uh, I just think you need somebody... Just because Ellis, there's so much unknown surrounding that guy. I, I just want a bit of a more sure thing, maybe a bit younger sure thing. Yeah, I just... that. If you're going to spend money on somebody, I would prefer it not be John Klingberg. How about that? Yeah, I would agree, and that's why, like, I think that ideally you just re-up Ristolainen for something in the neighborhood of 5x5 five five or 5x5.5, five five like, 
If you could get him at five and a half for six years, would you lock him in? Yeah. Just because the other other options to replace him are few and far between. Yeah. I would rather do six years at five and a half for Ristoline and then seven by seven for Klingberg. Yeah, that's fair because Klingberg's going to be, what, 30 sooner rather than later? He uh, was born. I believe he turns next 30 year. this year. Next, next year? No, he turns 30 um, in August. Yeah, turns 30 in August 14th. So, you, you like, that's another thing you have to factor in here. And, look, this isn't me saying that I love Rosner's Ristolainen. Like, I just defend him as a quality number four. But if you lock in Ristolainen... You don't have many other help at this point. That's the It's not thing. exactly an abundance of players out there that, uh, you know, without trading, without going crazy in the trade market. And that was, even if you trade Ristolainen right now, let's say you get a first-round pickback for the guy, you're going to have to use that first-round pick to go trade for another right-handed defenseman anyway. Right, the caliber of Ristolainen or Klingberg or somebody like that. So you're better off just kind of resigning the guy and trying to find a swing rather than trying to find two top right-handed defensemen this summer. I mean, then you could look on the trade front, and the first guy that jumps out to me is maybe Jeff Petrie. But Jeff Petrie is 34 years old. He has a $6.25 million cap hit for the next three years beyond this, which isn't... It isn't egregious, like it's only three years, and I he's had a dreadful year with the Montreal Canadiens, but I'm also going to apply context to that. They've just been an absolute disaster this year. But again, like I think Jeff Petrie's a guy who may get traded at this year's deadline, and I don't think at this year's deadline the Flyers are going to be operating too much in the way of buyers, if you will. And then you look at other, guy, other teams who are maybe in a fire sale, like, the call uh, the Arizona Coyotes they really have nothing to offer in the way of right shot defensive to the top four no I'm not counting uh Jacob Chikrin in that you look at the Anaheim Ducks they're kind of like in, in have one foot in one foot out in terms of like where they're going towards the deadline like the New Jersey Devils PK Subban no thank you Seattle Kraken like they only have Adam Larson but they just extended him when they selected him last year so I don't think they'll be looking to trade him in any which way um I don't know like it's just I don't think that right shot defensemen are hot commodities that are you know made available that often you know even a guy like if you look at the the San Jose Sharks like Brent Burns like is that what you want to do you want to take on a guy who's already 36 not at this point in his career no (laughs) exactly like and that's why like look I'm not gonna beat this drum that I'm in love with Erasmus Ristolainen but I also am recognizing here that the market for right shot defensemen top right-handed defensemen don't grow on trees and when the teams that do have Martin giving them up for cheap you know, you have Ristolainen and you paid for the guy. Now, if he doesn't want to resign here, that's a whole different friggin' can of worms. But, you know, if he's here and he's willing to listen and you're willing to give him a good sales pitch and he believes in the team, you almost have to resign him, you know, as a top four guy. And then just cross your fingers that Ristolainen or that, uh, that Ellis is going to be healthy and then find yourself a swing guy. Like, that's what you got to do. But, uh, if. You only, you just gotta hope that Ristori signs, right? Like if he just says "f this, I'm out," like all of a sudden now you really got, you know, to, you, this is a problem that comes up a little later. But hopefully for the time being, they can, uh, you know, give him a good sales pitch, and he believes in the team and whatever the hell Chuck Fletcher's gonna do this summer that the turnaround would be imminent. But uh, you know, he really holds the cards as to where this discussion ends up going this year. 
And, I mean, it's tough with Ristolainen because we both acknowledge that, like, he's not a guy that can really, you know, tag in higher up in the lineup. Like, the only other guy, like, maybe, but again, like, Vancouver, I don't know what they're really doing. I was saying maybe if you want to take a swing for Tyler Myers, who... I think is an, a solid defenseman, but I mean, again, are they going to give up on Tyler Myers? I don't think so. Like, they let Chris Tanev walk two summers ago, a guy that I still can't believe the Flyers didn't take a harder run at. He would have been perfect for this team right now. But I don't think that they're going to give up on a guy like Tyler, Tyler Myers when their two other best defensemen in Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson are both left-shot guys. And after Tyler Myers, their best right-shot guy is Travis Hamanick. So it's just, there's so many things about, you know, looking for right-shot defensemen that you really have to balance here. Like, I, you know, even a guy like Robert Bertuzzo, who I thought would have maybe been, like, a decent third-pair option, he got re-upped by the St. Louis Blues, I believe it was last week. Like, there are so many aspects about, right shot defenseman that people don't really take into consideration that it's absolutely tough to get these guys like and chuck has traded for two four of them in the three summers that he's operated here so i mean it's i don't know man it's very uh it's a very tough market after top six centermen i would argue that it's arguably the hardest commodity to come by and, you know, it's easy to just say trade risk to line and recoup the assets so we all feel better when we look at cap friendly and we have a second round pick. You know, I think that's what a lot of people think of. But at the same time, like if you want to compete next year, maybe you just have to slightly overpay to keep him here. Because, again, if if we knew that this was heading towards a rebuild, then you trade him. You play any Tom, Dick, and Harry in that spot next year, and then you roll with the punches because you know that competing isn't something that is in the cards. But at this point, we know they want to compete next year. We know a rebuild is off the table. So if you can't find someone who is just as good, if not better, than Ristolainen, you might as well maybe keep him. Well, you mentioned top six centers, and I've not uh, brought this up on any of the shows yet, but the injury report... For the players currently out. Um, Katari had back surgery. Hayes is still practicing, by the way. But, uh, you know, he may be in line for his fourth surgery. Ellis is still not had surgery for whatever is ailing him. I guess the witch doctor is trying his best to, you know, heal him naturally, which apparently isn't working very well. Um, obviously, the most concerning thing there is Couturier and the back surgery. Um, they were obviously not overly uh, open with what kind of surgery, which is, you know, back, back surgery is one of those things you hear just immediately, you know, the butthole puckers a little bit, because uh, it, it can be pretty scary. You know, are we talking major surgery? Are we talking minor surgery? A herniated disc? A pinched nerve? You know, was it his upper back? His lower back? Is his problem solved? Is he going to be... Good to go next year, you know, is he going to be potentially hampered by this again down the line somewhere? You know, it's a very serious, um, very serious thing, and I, I put out a piece this morning kind of analyzing the the injuries and what you need, and, you know, you're going to need top center, and Couturier, people get so angry when I, t- you know, question Sean Couturier, but the reality of the situation is, is you need to figure something out here. 
You know, people always point to the past. Oh, but he has a Selkie trophy. He did this in 1718. He did, you know, whatever last year. The You know, when I question him, I don't care about the past. It doesn't matter what he's done in the past. The reality of the situation is you have this guy signed for eight years at just under $8 million a season. And now he's got back surgery. He was already, you know, he's not overly, you know, he's not fast. He's not overly dynamic. He's not this, like, this is a guy who's probably not going to age very gracefully. And now yet in the back surgery with the, all the unknowns surrounding that, it could be even worse. Um, I don't know what you do. I, I just, I wish people could just be, you know, set their fandom aside when talking about this guy and look at the reality here. Because, man... They are just, that contract, that contract is going to bite him. If I had a crystal ball and could look into the future, I would love to see what people have to say about Couturier's contract in like three years, you know, because I don't think this one is going to, uh, going to, uh, to age very well. And then you got Hayes, you know, now what, fourth, he had what, three surgeries in line for his fourth, like you're going into next season with your top two centers, 30 years old. With multiple injuries coming off some serious shit. Like, that is so bad. What a... I just... Fuck! Everything about this team going in next year is so... Oh, my God. I don't know what Look, to do. I, you almost gotta add two top centers. Like, uh, Hurdle's <laughs> not gonna do it for me. You, If you add, like... I think he's gonna re-sign in San Jose for what it's worth. Good. You need... I don't even know... You need, like, two top centers. I would not... At this point, hate if you brought in like, just say Larkin and Hurdle just for funsies, and you brought them both, and you go one, two, Couturier's your three, and Hayes is like a winger. Like I wouldn't even hate that at this point, just because you need so much goddamn help down the middle. You need a dynamic player. You need help. You need help. You gotta figure this out because this whole fucking team goes to shit if you don't address your center position again. Which yeah, for whatever reason with- Fletcher hasn't done. Ignored 3C all these years. How many fucking people could he have gotten on this summer in the last few months alone? You know, you missed out on Reinhardt, which I'm still salty about. You could have got Eichel. He's going to play tonight or tomorrow. Tonight. Jesus, man. You had all this fucking time. <sighs> They're screwed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, you know, you, you have Hayes and Couturier. Who I mean, they're locked in at a combined what is it like seven, fourteen point nine? Let's say just to round it up. So fourteen point nine, which I mean, it isn't horrible. Like if you add another guy who's in the range of six to seven, and you're paying your three centers a combined twenty one, twenty two million dollars, it's not the end of the world. Um, it's just where you're gonna find that guy. I think at this point, my personal dream of Dylan Larkin has sailed, uh, for sure. Uh, Thomas Hurdle, I agree, he doesn't really do it for me, and I do think he may ultimately end up re-signing in San Jose. Uh, I truly believe that the only way that you could make this work is if you somehow add a centerman, a young centerman with a top six ceiling ahead of the NHL trade deadline. Yeah. Because we know that in this system, and I talked about this on Snow the Goldie, we know that in this system, they don't have that. Morgan Frost, like, I, maybe, who knows? I'm not going to completely slam the door shut, but I'm not holding my breath at this point. 
And after that, what's the set bet next best centerman? Jay O'Brien? I mean, at these have Filippo mentioned Filippo mentioned that um that maybe Forrester can play C, but I don't really think so. He's been primarily so, wing with the Phantoms when he's healthy. I don't think yeah, they've so, once rolled him as a center. Wisdom is marked as a center as well, but again, I think he's been primarily uh, a winger in Lehigh Valley. I don't know what he's doing in juniors off the top of my head, but uh, both Forster and Wisdom were deployed as wingers when they were with the Phantoms last year and early this year. And even if Wisdom is a center, that's more of like a 4C, 3C, is he not? Yes. So, I, I mean, I think they need to add a centerman here. A hundred percent. And if that means that you don't get a first round pick, then so be it. Like, I, I know that a lot of people don't want to make a trade for Giroux and or Ristolainen without a first round pick, but the Flyers aren't heading towards a rebuild. So I think that you should be targeting more established players. And, you know, you obviously have Colorado, who's at the heart of the trade uh, rumors for Claude Giroux, but they're not interested in giving up Alex Newhook, which does not shock me in the least. And after that, maybe you look at a right shot defenseman like Justin Barron, but then you also have teams like the Carolina Hurricanes, who are rumored to be in the mix. They have Jack Drury, the Minnesota Wild, they have Marco Rossi. And then the St. Louis Blues, like Robert Thomas, but I don't see why they would give him up because he is contributing to their uh, their team at the NHL level right now. And maybe you don't get those guys, but you have to get a centerman. You have to absolutely, without a doubt, bring in a young centerman that has the potential to play next year. Because let's say you add a first-round pick this year and you draft a centerman, whoever that may be. Even uh, who's the top centerman after Shane Wright? Is it Logan Cooley or something, Some I believe? Man, yeah. Like, when is he going to really make an impact for you? And that's assuming that you get a top three pick. After that, if you draft a guy in the 7 to 15 range, are you really going to expect him to make a, an impact next year? Like, I would absolutely be doing everything in my power to be adding a top uh, a guy with that ceiling of a top six airman. Obviously, you don't get a, a real-life top six airman right now, but I think that's what you have to be looking at because... I don't think that you're going to find a guy who's already established in that way. Like, I know there's been rumors about Kadri. That's something I would steer far no, away. Oh, fuck. Not if Hayes is still on the roster. You can't have them both. Exactly. If you want uh, to I ditch just... Hayes, who the fuck would take that guy on at this point? I have no idea. But if you want to ditch Hayes inside Kadri, I still think it's not a great idea, but that would be the only way that would make any kind of sense. You can't roll with a 1-2-3 punch of Kadri, Hayes, and Kadri next year. Oh, my God. I just, I don't think that you can really find someone to come in unless you make a miracle trade for Dylan Larkin. But the thing is, is that I think the only way that they do that trade is if you uh, if you offer up a guy like Cam York. And is Cam York really expendable at this point after what's gone on this year? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think Dylan Larkin has that ship has sailed. I just, I don't know. I, I really do not know what else you have here. Like, the, the trade block at this juncture, like, I mean, 
I don't think that they would want to move him, but maybe if the Winnipeg Jets make the, miss the playoffs, they want to shake up their roster a little bit. Maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's a pending uh, RFA, maybe he's a guy that they look to move because they have, like, I don't know, Andrew Kopp on their roster. But again, even Cole Perfetti's up there, although I don't know if he's playing center or wing for them at this point. So maybe something like that, like, hey, you want Travis Konechny and Travis Sanheim, you give us Pierre-Luc Dubois and you know, a draft pick, whatever, that's a good hockey trade. Like, I I think, like, aside from something like that, you're going to have to bank on bringing in a guy in uh, via trade in terms of, like, a prospect who hasn't hit his ceiling yet at the NHL level. Yeah, it's 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 going to be hard. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you do. That has been the... Uh... <laughs> oh, man... You really need help down the middle, and you need it in the worst way possible. And if they do not address it or they don't address it properly, like, you're just going to run it back and make the same mistakes you do this year, right? It's going to be the same fucking shit. You can add Gaudreau and Forsberg and, you know, Farabee comes back at full strength and Allison's here to stay. The hell of a top four wingers there, right? But then if you roll with Katuri and Hayes, you're just setting everything up to fail again. You know, this is a position Fletcher has ignored for years, but now you can no longer ignore it. You know, you're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to hit it hard. Hopefully you get something good back from Giroux, where you can start building, you know, for the future a little bit in terms of a good center. Um, get somebody in their early 20s and, and make this work. But, I mean, even then, you're still going to have to find somebody somewhere to come in and, and make this happen, because uh, you, you just cannot roll with Couturier. And hey, this is a one-two punch again. You just can't do it. No, you can't. It's blown up in their face. What is it through two years in a row two now? Two years, yeah. But do you think a lot of that has been them trying to bank on Frost or before that? Um, what's his face, Nolan and Patrick coming back? I think they always relied on those internal options, yeah, and used them as a way to avoid it. Um, yeah, well, Frost is just going to come be three C this year, or you know, Nolan Patrick coming back. We got to give him a chance and. You know, there was always that internal golden carrot there, but I do think at this point in time, like, I don't think you got anybody else left, you know, <laughs> that's going to come up and, and make us... Matt Strom, maybe? But, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I don't think you got anybody left to uh, to come in and... Internal. There you have no more uh, internal excuses to, uh, to, to avoid adding a legitimate center this year. And yes, they, they've had that blow up in their face two years in a row now because of Nolan, the everlasting carrot dangling of Nolan Patrick and Morgan Frost. And I believe that, and obviously this isn't a report or anything legitimate, I'm just giving this as an example. I think that if they can't land a young centerman via trade in the Claude Giroux imminent deal, I think that something along the lines of like Konechny and Sanheim for maybe Dubois and who knows, like, D I don't know, Brendan Dillon, who's playing, you know, bottom pairing for them right now. I think that's You know, for the longest time, I thought Justin Braun and Brendan Dillon were the same person. <laughs> I know. They were both on the Jose Sharks. Or, uh, wait, where was it? J well, Dillon and Demers got traded for each other. Yeah, that was another one. And fucking I've Jason Demir, the same fucking person. They're all the same guy, I'm convinced. I remember people were very upset when the Flyers traded for Braun instead of Brendan Dillon for whatever reason. What? Because, <laughs> yeah, I remember like, oh, 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 o
But look, I mean, again, that's no way me reporting it, but just something of like a th- like something that would maybe be an example that like that's something that you would have to look to explore because you and I think Dubois is he was drafted in 2016, so he's still fairly young. So that would check that box like and then maybe you have a, you know, I don't know, like a, a top line next year of. I don't know, Forsberg, Dubois, and Josh Anderson, let's say. Would that give you more optimism? Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't think anything's going to give me optimism right now. Fuck this stupid team. Just over it. I just well, can't wait for the offseason. I mean, it's a better line than what they have, if that's what you're asking. But, like... I'm I'm just trying to think of ways. The that buy-in they... proposal for me at this point is uh, is very low. <laughs> There's just I don't have any hope anymore, Anthony. They killed it all. It's what we've been saying for the better part of a year now. When we were having these very same discussions 20, 12 months ago, it just seems fundamentally broken. Yep. It just seems that you make one deal and then that opens up that spot, and then you make that deal and then that one opens up and. Round and round and round we go. Yep. So all they need this summer is a top right-handed defenseman, maybe two, and at least one center and a huge upgrade on wings, all while ditching a whole bunch of dead cap that they have on the current roster. Right? Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Seems easy enough. <laughs> Great. I do not envy Chuck Fletcher. That poor bastard. What a fucking job he's got in front of him this year. Whew. Yeah, I still have people saying that... Um... You know, they wanted him, uh, they want him fired. Oh, I still hear that regularly. And I don't get it. I mean, I do. I, I, it's not totally baseless, but I still don't understand what the fuck anybody wants beside him. They want Danny Briere, but I mean, Jesus Christ. Do you want to throw Danny Briere into this summer? (laughs) Hey, your first time as an NHL GM, go find me two top right-handed defensemen, two top centers, and a whole bunch of talented wingers, and save the Philadelphia Flyers during the most tumultuous time in their history. Eh, that's, (laughs) what a first day on the job that would be, you know. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I I don't know, like, I, even this Danny Briere thing, I think that at this point, like, he's just a part of Chuck Fletcher's staff, like, Maybe if they torpedo again next year, then I could see it a hundred percent. But like his job security, Fletcher's job security is based entirely on how this offseason goes and how next year goes. Right. If he if you go in the next year and he either sits on his hands and doesn't do anything or tries stuff and it fails next year, I would assume his sands of time run out fairly quickly. If he can have a great su- uh, great summer and go in the next year and the team looks revitalized and ready to go and good again, like, okay. Like, maybe he bought, he bought himself a little bit more time. But, you know, I don't get the sense that this is Briere's job in the near future, I feel like they gave him the title just to kind of get the brawl, uh, ball rolling a little bit more, um, so other teams don't try and pry him away. But uh, I, I, I do not get the feeling that you know Breer is imminent as far as you know the next GM goes, unless shit goes belly up again. Yeah, and you know, like obviously people are saying, well, he could have been GM with Montreal. Well, I mean, he would have been working directly under Jeff Gordon. So him being the special assistant to Chuck Fletcher is probably the same type of 
maybe not responsibility, but the same power hierarchy as it would have been in Montreal. Like Jeff Gordon is the ultimate decision maker in the hockey ops department in Montreal. So, I mean, like, look, I, I do think that eventually Briere probably is the next general manager of the Flyers. I think I would bet like a decent amount on that. It's just that in the in the immediate future, I just don't think it's worth talking about. Yeah. I don't because I don't think they would have allowed Chuck Fletcher to make as many. They would have made the move already when they promoted yeah. Briere. They would have fired Fletcher and just gave Briere the title if they really felt this guy was prepared for it right now. And, and the other thing is, is like look at all the other hockey ops, you know, moves that they've made in the last several weeks, like Tom Minton and Alan McCauley and the the woman that they brought in in the analytics uh, department. Her name is escaping me right now. I think she's from the University of Notre Dame. Um, like these are all moves that Chuck Fletcher is helping to make or making himself. You know, he wouldn't be given the free reign to make all these decisions of building his own team if his job was, you know coming to a closer in jeopardy i just i'm not saying that you're off base to say that you want chuck fletcher gone or you want briere i just think that in the time being there's no point talking about it because it's not happening if in 12 months from now we're having the same conversation for the third year in a row god i hope not (laughs) it's possible oh oh, it absolutely is so i hope not I can't take much uh, more of this, Anthony. Go- I don't know if I get. I don't go. I don't know if I got another year of losing in me. If this same shit happens again next year, like it's time to check out. It's time to go find a new hobby. Fuck. Yeah, if the same shit happens again. Well, I mean, because it's going to get to a point here that if this if this same shit, I think that. How would you say it? I just think that eventually it will get to a point where the Flyers would have to rebuild because it's going to it's eventually going to get to a point where like shit hits the fan. And as much as Dave Scott doesn't want to admit it, they're not going to have much of a choice. Yeah. They, they if if they shit the bed again next, I don't year, know how far away they've got no choice, right? If they go back and look the exact same and you just had another big summer, your second big summer of flipping half the roster, and you roll into next season, like, all of a sudden, like, you may have no choice but to rebuild. And at that point, you waited too goddamn long because you probably traded even more draft assets and whatnot going into this year to try and save the team again. So you you are, you are you pick up next year if you fail right where you picked off with Holmgren in the first place, which is you have no more draft assets, you've got no talent left in the organization, no young guys left, you're trying to salvage something that's long gone. You just set yourself back a full friggin' decade. If you fail again next year, so fuck, please, Chuck, don't fuck this up, huh? Let's have a good summer. Let's have some big moves. Bring me anybody, actually. I don't even give a shit anymore. Just fuck, fuck. I hate the Flyers. Have I ever mentioned that before? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be, uh, yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we've said, it's getting to a point now where, like, it's just Groundhog Day when we do these shows. Yeah, just got to hold over for another month or so until the trade deadline. And then we got to hold over another four months after that until the uh, the offseason really picks up. But, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> fucking is what it is, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, I guess we'll call it a day here. Um, I don't know what the rest of the week looks like as far as schedule. I think we got a sisterly pod tonight. 
which will probably be up tomorrow. Doing a freaking flyer on Friday, which probably go up Sunday. So, or something like that. I don't know, we'll figure it out. But a uh, pretty slow, uh, easy week on shows the rest of the week here. So, there you go. Plenty of stuff up on BrotherlyPuck.com right now. At Dan the Flyer Fan, at BrotherlyPuck, at Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at ADemarco25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good nights.